Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Scripture for today's teaching is Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he had wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And when Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now are pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. You guys can grab a seat. So good to be with you all today. If you don't know me, my name is Will Gaines. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and um, just glad to be with you, glad to worship with you. And Sean, in uh, Gospel of Mark chapter 4, talking about the storm that Jesus calmed, and the disciples are worried and fearful for their lives. And now we're at the place where we're in uh, Mark 5, stepping into the story of the demoniac, the man that was rescued from the demons. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Mark 5, 1 through 20. We're going to stay within that story today and, and have that ready as we, as we work through this. So uh, uh, this has been one of my favorite stories probably since I was a, a young kid. And oftentimes when we hear about demons or devils or the power of darkness, what, what is it that comes to mind? There's probably images, maybe ideas of what the devil looks like and all these things. But here's, here's one that comes to mind immediately. It'll be on the screen here. If you've seen this movie, The Exorcist, it's a horrifying. If you've been, been harmed by this film in your life, I'm so sorry. Don't go watch it. Um, but it's, it's horrifying. And it's just, it's a story of this girl who is demon-possessed and 
and if you know it, you know it well. This priest tries to uh, deliver this demon from her. He uses a cross. He's throwing holy water on her, trying to read all the right passages. And it just seems like he's powerless. We see that through the Hollywood depictions of these demonic stories, right? The, the, the priest oftentimes seems powerless. Another, another kind of fun one is uh, this image. And if you know it, you know the band Tenacious D, which is a band from the late 90s, early 2000s. They did a music video um, called The Greatest Song in the World. And their whole goal in this was, uh, if we write the greatest song in the world, we can defeat the powers of darkness. It's like another Hollywood depiction of what a devil or the, the powers of darkness look like. And then if you've grown up in the church, um, this next one here, you may not recognize it. You might cross the room. If you know who Carmen is, anybody know Carmen? Yeah, if you're like 35 or older, you know. If you're younger than that, you may not know who he is. But this is a, a, a really buff devil. <laughs> he like, he's really getting some gains and uh, the, 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 the scene is this really theatrical idea of, of revival in the land is what it was called. And, and Carmen played a demon with a clipboard and he was updating the devil on all the bad things that were happening on earth and they were celebrating and then all of a sudden he's saying, well, there's revival happening in these small churches and the devil gets upset and, and that's, the, that's kind of the theme. It's like if there's revival, we'll defeat the enemy. But as we look at this passage, it's actually quite different. It's actually vastly different from any of those stories that I just shared with you of powerlessness or the power of man to write a song or the, 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 the power of this revival. We actually see the story of Jesus coming to rescue kind of three observations today. Um, we're going to walk through the, the power of Jesus, the, the gentleness of Jesus, and then the pursuit of Jesus as we work through this passage. So uh, it's a little bit of story recap from last week. If you weren't here, or maybe you don't know the story. Um, we, we see last week that um, Jesus has just finished sharing all these parables with a large group of people, and he grabs the disciples. He says, hey, we're going to get in a boat, and we're going to go to the other side of the water. And uh, as, as they get in the boat, the story goes on, and this big storm comes in. Jesus falls asleep on the boat. The disciples are really, really fearful for their lives. Water's coming in. They say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up. And does what? He says, be still. And the storm calms. And now they're stepping out of the boat up on this other side of the land, getting out of the boat. And it says that there's this man that greets them immediately. So as soon as their feet hit the sand, this man is, is running towards him, towards them. And we know that he is tormented by demons. He was kind of also known to be this guy that hung out in the outskirts of town, around the tombs, around the graves, and would scream and cry out day and night, cutting himself, lashing out. And we see that, that in, in this story, Jesus has just calmed this raging storm, and now we see Jesus is encountering a man who has a raging storm equally as violent inside of him. So we, we also see that this man was actually afflicted three different ways. The man screamed and yelled at night, um, due to the agony and the pain, he would also, like I said, cut himself. And I think some of that is like maybe he was trying to escape the agony and pain that was within his soul and within his heart to try to escape what was going on by cutting himself. We also see that the man was physically afflicted um, beyond the physical, uh, I'm sorry, beyond the, the, his own self-harm. The townspeople would come out of the town to go and shackle him and chain him up as to subdue him and not have to deal with him. And probably even, in, in even some ways to try to protect the town 
from what this man might do in his insanity um, or what he might actually do to himself. And then we also see that he was socially afflicted. The people pushed him outside of the town. He was pushed out. He was not able to come into the town to be with the people. They probably did this as to not deal with him. And then he lived amongst the caves and the tombs, um, which were often homes for really poor people, or in this case, um, people who who had mental conditions that were not seen fit to live in in, in the town. So they were pushed out of the outskirts of the city, socially afflicted. And as as this short story kind of comes to life in our imaginations today, it, it seems it seems so graphic and difficult and challenging to kind of grab a hold of. I know that in, even in myself, I feel a little bit of like uncomfort, discomfort, like, oh, this is just kind of a weird story. This is wild. Why is this even here? But I think Mark is giving this account to help us step into the moment and actually see the power and to see uh, the gentleness and to see the pursuit of Jesus in a really hard situation. So the first observation we're going to talk about today is really just the power of Jesus. We, we can't get away from it. It's, it's kind of immediate. We see that in, in, in chapter 4, Jesus calms the chaos of nature, and now Jesus is, is stepping into a moment to calm the chaos of hell. Mark 5, 6-7 says this, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure to you by God, do not torment me. I think as I was reading through some of this stuff, there's some, uh, a little bit of confusion of, hey, is, is this the man talking or is this the demons, the demons talking? And I, I think the man was so out of his mind, in my, in, in my personal opinion, that I don't think he would have known who Jesus was. And Jesus immediately starts to respond to the demon. So I think this demon is actually knowing what's to come. He's like, I, I think I know this man has power. and He's about to do something. Please don't torment me, right? We see in Mark 5, 8 through 17, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd numbered about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank, into the sea, and then drowned in the sea. We see the demonic presence was uh, confronted by the holy and powerful presence of Jesus in this moment. The demonic actually knew who he was the second he stepped off the boat, as you can see in this passage. There was no arguing, there was no fight. It was just purely demonic defeat in the moment, the power of Jesus at full display. And we also see something really interesting about these herdsmen that came in. They're looking at the situation, and I think a lot of times I used to look at this and go, why are the herdsmen so afraid? Something really beautiful happened. This guy was healed. But we got to realize, like, they just watched their livelihood drown in the sea, right? They lost everything. They're like, what did this guy just do? Who is he, for one? What is he doing here? That guy's in his right mind. I'm really afraid of what's happening right now. And what's, what's, what's kind of unique here is they're actually more afraid of what happened to this man after he was brought to his right mind than they were when the man was afflicted by the demonic presence. And the parallel we see even going back to Mark 4 is the disciples were actually more afraid after the storm was calmed than they were before the storm was calmed. 
And that was so intriguing to me because it's like, why is that, why is that a reality? There's a quote by R.C. Sproul that says this, when the Holy One, Jesus, is manifest in the, in, in the midst of unholy people, the only appropriate response is dread. And I know for myself, I, I think about those two parallel stories of fear, and I want us to think about the dread that we might feel in kind of a situation like this that we're faced with when the power and authority of Jesus is on display. If Jesus has this kind of power over the darkness and authority over the, over the darkness, what is he going to ask of me? What's he going to demand of me in this moment? I, I can imagine those herdsmen were probably thinking something like that. This guy is intruding in on our comfort. This guy is, he's contained. We don't want him doing weird stuff. He's just destroyed our livelihood. What else is he going to ask us to do? What kind of, he's going he's to disrupt something. And I think oftentimes we want the power and authority of Jesus when we're feeling, maybe feeling pain or anxious. His power is okay as long as it doesn't disrupt our comforts and our, our, our ways of life, the demands and comforts that we have. We even say things like, Jesus, we want you to be really full of power and authority and do these things, but not when I'm doing okay. When I'm doing okay in the areas of my life where I'm okay, don't, I don't want you to go there. Let's just stay away from that and just do the things that I want you to do. It, it, it's easy to, to break this up and compartmentalize it and say, I want Jesus to be powerful here, but not here. And in so many ways, this brings us to a place of a sort of an invitation from Jesus to ask ourselves some questions. I want to ask you, and I'm asking myself these questions because I feel these same things. Are there any places in your life where you don't want to be bothered by the power and authority of Jesus? Are there any places where you're tempted to want to limit the power and limit the authority of Jesus? If, 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 if these questions ring true, then uh, if these questions bring sort of a discomfort in you, maybe it's asking Jesus, what is the invitation here? What are you trying to say to me? I know for myself, when I start to feel the discomfort of the authority and power of Jesus coming towards me, I start to press it down and go, yeah, but I'm, I'm comfortable right now. I'm really comfortable right now. And even in some ways, when we see this power and authority, maybe you're saying out loud, maybe in, in your own heart, like, yeah, I get that. I think I want to give him those places. But what if, what if he doesn't listen to me? Because I've put these comforts up as walls to protect myself from hurts and pains that have happened to me in my life. Maybe he won't listen to that. Maybe he's going to approach this if I say, yes, Jesus, I want you to have power and authority. Maybe he's going to approach it and he's not going to be kind. I know oftentimes I kind of picture him with his arms crossed going, what, what's going on here? You got to fix this, right? And I think what we see in this passage is we actually see uh, the gentleness of Jesus at display. The second observation in this passage is the gentleness of Jesus. And this, destroy, this, sorry, this story destroys any notion that some people are just too far gone for the saving power of Jesus to move and work. We see in verse 14 and 15, the herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the only one who had, had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
in a lot of ways, as I was reading this story, and even as I'm reading it now, I'm thinking to myself, and this story is just too hard. Like, this man is really far gone. The situation is too difficult. He's too hard to save. In some ways, if this man were to come at us right now, we would probably, if we have kids, even shelter our kids from even seeing what's going on with this man. I can imagine even in this town that parents putting their kids to bed at night and hearing this man screaming in agony and pain outside of the town and parents going, that is just crazy Joe. He'll tucker himself out at some point and just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. They would shelter themselves from him. There's even a lot of ways we would actually avoid contact with him if we saw him on the street corner, right? I think we probably all feel this. If we were all really honest with ourselves, we've been in the scenario where we're driving, we get to a stoplight, we look over and there's someone standing with a sign and we are locked in, 10 and 2. We're not going to make eye contact. We're not going to move. We're not going to call something. I got to call something. I'm making these, I'm saying these analogies because I've done these things. It's like, get on my phone and pretend, or call something. I got to call somebody because we're, we're afraid of, what are they going to say? What are they going to ask of me in this moment? That's, that's too hard for me, right? That's too difficult. Another thing, we might even assume or look at this man and go, he's made some life choices that have got him to this point and use that as an excuse to further avoid any contact with this guy. He's, he's made some decisions. He's made his life choices. That's his problem. He's someone to ignore, someone to push out, someone to be left to his own devices. Just leave him there. And in this passage, we see that the gentleness of Jesus says he isn't too far gone. He's not too hard to deal with. He's not too difficult. We see that Jesus isn't shocked or even surprised by this man's condition, his current state. Jesus actually makes eye contact with this man. He doesn't avoid him. He doesn't look straight ahead. He actually looks this man in the eyes, makes eye contact. And then Jesus leans in fully to the situation with his gentleness and his kindness. It's a part of the passage that I I, I get stuck on in verse 14. It says this, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. I can only imagine that 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 took a little bit of time to take place. The herdsmen have have seen their pigs jump into the, the sea. They're terrified. They're worried about their livelihood. And they leave the area to go into the city to get more people to come back. So I imagine some time had to have passed here because it's, it's kind of easy to breeze through this story and get to the end and, and kind of look back and, and miss some things. And I want to land here for just a second. And, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe I miss it, but I imagine this being a really sweet moment between Jesus and this man. I imagine this man having some questions, right? He's, he's come to a right mind. He's probably been completely out of it for a really long time, being oppressed by this demonic presence. He probably asked some questions. Where am I? What day is it? Who are you? What did you do to me? Where are my friends? What's next? I don't know. Maybe those are some questions that he probably had for Jesus in that moment. And I can only imagine that as that time passed, Jesus, in in, in the nature that we read about who he is and the kind, gentle God that he is, just sits with this man for a little bit. And I just want to kind of land there for a second. He just kind of sits with him, maybe. 
There was a, when I was about seven or eight years old, um, I remember hearing this story for the first time. I think I told you at the beginning, this is probably one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. It's, it's such a beautiful story. And I remember if you were, um, ever got to experience flannel graphs, you know what a flannel graph is? Some of you are like, yeah. If you're under like 25, you're like, I don't even know. I know what a flannel shirt is. I don't know what a flannel graph is. A flannel graph is like a felt board that teachers would put on an easel and they'd have all these characters and they'd run through, put a character up, it would stick kind of like Velcro and they'd tell the story. And I specifically remember this scene as a kid of Jesus standing in front of this, this, uh, the, the demoniac out of his mind, hair probably looking very similar to mine right now, and just kind of out of his mind crazy. And, and, and the depiction of the character, he was, he was dirty, crazy hair. And then in the story, I remember the teacher taking him off as Jesus healed him, and they put a different person up that looked completely different. Like he had a, you know, hair slicked back, he was clean, he was clothed. And in the, in the depiction that I remember specifically was Jesus and this man sitting on a rock. And I remember thinking, what happened there? What was the conversation piece, right? And I think as we look at this story and we look at the gentleness of Jesus, we actually see this is the heart of Jesus for you and me. Across the room, no matter where you're at, this is the heart of Jesus for you and me. Jesus, any of your circumstances, Jesus isn't thinking any of us in the room are too far gone or too difficult to pursue. Jesus wants to sit with you. He wants to sit with you. Your broken marriage doesn't cause Jesus to turn away in your time of need. Same-sex attraction doesn't cause Jesus to not want to make eye contact with you. He comes towards you. Your past doesn't make Jesus look at you with disgust, arms folded saying, you chose this, you made this decision, now go deal with this on your own. It's not what he does. Years of addiction to pornography or any other substance while having the heavy weight of shame and guilt and hiding the sin over and over and over again. It doesn't cause Jesus to leave you to yourself. If you're in the room and you feel heavy weights of depression, heavy weights of anxiety, this passage actually points to the gentleness of Jesus coming towards you saying, you're not too. Maybe you're asking the question today, man, is this really the heart of Jesus for me? And friends, I, I look at this story and I see something really crazy and I go, yes. This is the heart of Jesus for all of us in the room. This man had no way, no, no means of looking for Jesus. He had no means. He couldn't go looking for him. He couldn't find a way to clean himself up or make himself right with God. If anything, he was just trying to hurt himself more and more to get away from the agony and the pain and the struggle of what it was to be afflicted. Jesus did for this man what this man could not do for himself. He clothed him. He brought him to a right mind and he brought him into the presence of an ever-loving father. In that moment, he did for this man what he couldn't do for himself. And I think I feel this. It's, it's easy to perhaps even see this story and go, man, this is an amazing story for some people I know. This is an amazing story for some addicts I know. This is an amazing story for other people, but 
I look at this story, and I think the invitation here is to see that this story is actually every person in this room. If you're following Jesus, this story is your story. You weren't looking for Jesus. You couldn't. He came for you. Nothing about your story was about you suddenly just finding your way to Jesus. He came for you. You were naked and out of your mind. You were dead in the tombs, dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins, and Jesus came for you. Jesus clothed you and brought you to a right mind, and he settled you into the presence of an ever-loving Father. That's the gentleness of Jesus coming after you. And maybe today this isn't your story yet. Maybe you look at this story and you're like, okay, I got, now I got a list of things I can, I can probably do to maybe get this worked out. But that's not the invitation today. If, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you hear this story and you come away with things that you've got to do, you're missing, you're missing it. Jesus is inviting you to see his power, to see his gentleness, and finally to see this last observation, to see the pursuit of Jesus in this passage. This is something we can't get away from. And in this 18 through 20 says this, be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The story feels so quick to me. Jesus puts his foot to the sand. He does something really amazing, gets back on the boat and leaves. But I want to talk about the pursuit of Jesus in this moment, all the things that he went through to get to this moment. We talked about it earlier, but he went through a pretty insane storm where his disciples literally thought they were going to die. And from all we can see in the scriptures to get to this one man, his pursuit is in some ways a little bit wild. This wasn't just a random fishing trip with friends. This was a specific detour that Jesus took to go after this person. I also want to note that Jesus is bringing these 12 Jewish men, and we talk about Jewish culture for a second. Jewish culture, um, there's a lot of stuff of just things being unclean, being around a grave, being around a grave site, being around a dead body, even coming near a pig, anything like this that was considered unclean to them. They were unclean for seven days. So can you imagine the disciples getting off this boat going, don't touch anything. It's like a parent in a store, like don't touch anything. Like this is bad news for us. And we see that this man was actually unclean in four ways. He had an unclean spirit. He lived amongst the tombs and the graves. He was a Gentile, unclean. This is the place where pigs were raised. This is like a Jewish man's worst nightmare. But Jesus flips it over on its head and says, I'm going to go after this guy no matter what our cultural background is. I'm going after this man. And I don't want us to be simply left awestruck with Jesus' power, although that's really important. But I want us to also consider the great links that Jesus is willing to go to save this man. We sang the song a bit ago, the song Reckless Love. says it, I think, so well. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, and there's no lie you won't tear down. I mean, it's the reckless love of God in Jesus coming after me. This is 
even yet another example in Scripture of Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one. Stories in Scripture, just a really short recap, is there's a, a story Jesus tells in the Gospels of a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one wanders off into danger, and instead of that shepherd saying, it's okay, I've, I've still got 900, or, sorry, 900, 99 sheep, he actually stops what he's doing and he goes after the one sheep to bring the one sheep back. It's the heart of Jesus, the pursuit of Jesus. He's in pursuit and willing to go to great lengths for you and me, just like he did for the man in this story. There's nothing that's too big, there's nothing that's too powerful, There's nothing that can stop the pursuit of Jesus when he's coming after you. What's interesting in this passage is this man begs to go with Jesus on the boat. and Jesus tells him something that he has yet to tell anybody else that he's healed. In, 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 In the past, Jesus has healed people, but he's actually told them, don't go tell anybody. But this is the first man that he's actually said, hey, go and tell all your friends what I've done for you. The mercy that I've had over you. And as we look at this story, we see a lot of beautiful displays of the gospel at play here, that the, the, the powers of darkness, the devil, the demons, have no power. We see God's loving kindness and gentleness on display. We see that Jesus took the journey to this man, not the man who goes to taking the journey to Jesus. This man was destined to die, yet Jesus goes to the cross and dies. This man was cast out. He was isolated. He was left alone. Jesus was cast out. He was isolated. He was left alone. This man lived amongst the tombs, and Jesus goes to the tomb for us. Jesus goes to the cross and dies, is put in a tomb, and is raised to life by the power of the Spirit of God, defeats death with the power and authority of God. Jesus reigns and stands in victory, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling over the powers of darkness, death, and sin. It's the beauty of this story, the beauty of the gospel at play in this story. Maybe today you're in the room and like me, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and, and man, there are days that, that truly are beautiful and good. But let, if we were honest across the room as followers of Jesus, more often than not, the days are hard, right? They're difficult. There's often days where I feel really far from God. There's often days maybe you feel really far from God. It's like, I just want to give up. I don't even feel his pursuit. I don't feel his gentleness. I don't even see his power I think I'm done. I don't know how to keep doing this. And I want to say this today. If Jesus was willing to go to such great lengths to save you like he saved this man, you think he might keep you as well? He might keep you, continue to fight for you? Maybe you're even asking the question. I I ask a lot of questions in these moments. It feels like every time I get a solidified answer, I've got another question for God. Like, yeah, but what about this? Maybe we're asking in the room, is this pursuit enough for me? 39 says this. One thoughts, this is not my ideas, but Romans 8, 38, 39 says this. I want you to hear this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, no angels, not any rulers, 
No things present, nor things to come, no powers, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is willing to go to great lengths to save us, to keep us. If you would, I want to invite you to stand with me.